Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. Today is the final sermon in our Seasons of Giving series. Next week, we'll begin our Advent Season series. Today, however, we did a preacher swap between our two campuses here at Cathedral of the Rockies. Pastor Ben was preaching at the downtown campus, so today you'll hear from Pastor Dwayne Anders. He is the senior pastor of Cathedral of the Rockies, and he's also the usual preacher at the downtown campus of our church. So today he'll get into more practical ways to think about giving, which can be really helpful, uh, especially to someone like me, because I'm more of like a broad or general perspective kind of thinker. Um, so it helps when I'm giving like very particular and practical things to think about because I don't just naturally tend towards those things. Uh, so I hope that this will be helpful for you as well. And just as a reminder, you can always check out our church, Cathedral of the Rockies, on our website and on our social media platforms. There you can see what is going on in the life of our church and even connect with us online. Links are in the show notes where you can check us out. And with that, enjoy today's sermon. challenges of our life is we live in the tension between wealth and responsibility. I mean, what day goes by that there isn't a need in the community that's been listed for you? We live in the tension between self-preservation and self-sacrifice, between greed and generosity. And so today's question kind of is, how much is enough? It's a good question for the week of Thanksgiving as you think about sitting at the table. How much is enough? Usually one more plate. How much is enough? Usually one more purchase. How much is enough? We live in this tension. And often we would say there's not enough time, not enough time in the day, not enough likes on social media, not enough stuff in our closet, not enough tools in the garage, not enough. We've been told that the good life is found in the accumulation of even more. And we spend our lives with a phonetic pace of acquiring more. The pace of this modern world often leaves us feeling fragmented and fractured. And the rush and hunger for more sometimes overwhelms us. I mean, if you walk into the store these days, I was watching folks at Costco yesterday, and it was a bit overwhelming. <laughs> As folks gathered all their stuff, and we were doing it too, as we gathered all our stuff for Thanksgiving, as I saw some people doing Christmas purchases, a friend said, well, what'd you get? I said, well, we got the Thanksgiving stuff, we got some stuff for a meeting that I'm holding downtown, and then we got those three things you have to buy at Costco that you don't need. <laughs> right? There's always one more thing. What if generosity is a, at its core a spiritual experience. Maybe, maybe this will bring back to mind the challenge of gathering too much. Watch the screen. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? 
I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Need a smart way to consolidate your debt? At LennyTree.com, banks compete, and you choose the loan that's right for you. When yeah, banks compete, somebody, you win. At somebody help me. Right? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. And in our world, that is the normal way. But what if generosity is a different way? Let me take you to the text. It's the same text that, that um, I think you heard some about last week. We won't go as far into it as Pastor Ben did, but let's look at this text. This is Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. We'll put it on the screen. And would you read these words out loud with me? Let's read them together. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, I know it's a rainy day, but you kind of read that like church people. All right, look at the screen again. What's the punctuation there after watch out? Yeah, so how should we read that? Yes, right. I mean, if you were walking across the street and someone saw a car coming toward you, they wouldn't go, watch out. <laughs> right? Watch out. Be on your guard. No, they'd say, watch out. And so Jesus is in this moment with his followers when all of a sudden he's trying to get their attention and he says, pay attention. Watch out. This is dangerous. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not about all the stuff you acquire. Wow. We push back against that our whole life. Life is not about the stuff you acquire. I, I live in this ebb and flow of this moment. I, I always tell Kathy, one of, my wife, one of the favorite things I do is, is take a whole load of stuff down to Idaho Youth Ranch. And then usually two weeks later, I'm like, look what I just bought at Idaho Youth Ranch. Right? I fill that space right back up, even though I know I don't most of the time need the item. Watch out. Friends, there's no inherent goodness in poverty, nor is there an inherent evil in wealth. Money's not good or bad till it touches our hands, according to the scripture, what we do with it. So think about this. If in your working lifetime... Think about how much wealth passes through our hands. If you made $25,000 a year in your first year of working, some would say you're working for the church. That's just a joke for you guys over there. If you made $25,000 a year as your wage, let's say you made that for 40 years in a row, your wages never increased. A million dollars will pass through your hands. And the average wage in Boise is more than double that. So you may not think you're a millionaire. <laughs> you're just a slow millionaire. <laughs> Within your lifetime, a million dollars passes through your hands or more. What's our responsibility with this money? How do we learn to live generous? Because most of us would say, Dwayne, maybe that's true, but we're, we're just one paycheck away from crisis. We're barely keeping up. We, we're, 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 just, we're not living at the top of our game. We're living frugally, and we're barely keeping up, even with a million dollars passing through our hands. What's our responsibility? The interesting thing to me is if you make $25,000 a year, here's a great website you can check out, How Rich Am I? 
www.givingwhatwecan.org says if you make $25,000 a year, you are richer than 93.4% of the world. Wow. So most of us would say we're not rich by any means. Most of us are richer than 93.4% of the world right now. Now, the interesting thing is, according to CNBC, when they surveyed millionaires in this country and they asked millionaires, where do you fit in the, in the kind of the hierarchy of wealth? They all said they were middle class. Millionaires. We're just middle class. We often think a little more will be enough. But I believe generosity, generosity possesses the power to reshape us now, whenever pastors talk about money, I think it usually makes people nervous, especially in the church, and there's some things you just need to know. The first one is this. Giving is always a matter of the heart. And so if you're squirming, then that means you have no heart. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it's a matter of the heart. And the scripture teaches this. It says you should never give out of pressure. You should never feel manipulated about giving. But I like to remind people of this. The church only exists on the giving of the people who are part of it. There is no oil well down here by the, by the garden. There is no pot of gold underneath the Amity building. We exist on our tithes and our offerings and our giving. That's how the church does its ministry. Well, let's look a little bit at about how we could do ministry together. Um... Let's think of this. Generosity is an opportunity for believers to be shaped into the image of Christ. And 280 years ago, our founder, John Wesley, I always think this is amazing. Almost 300 years ago, he gave a sermon, and you can Google it later, called On the Use of Money. And he said, look, people that are called Methodists have a responsibility. And here's what he said about Methodists. He said, money in the hands of God's children, it's food for the hungry Drink for the thirsty, clothing for the naked. Look, he says money's good. You need money. He goes on to say, it gives to the traveler and the stranger a place to lay their head. By it we supply a parent to the parentless. We may be a defense to the oppressed, uh, a means of health for the sick, of ease to them who are in pain. By it, um, it may be as eyes to the blind and feet to the lame, even the lifter up from the gates of death. What if generosity... At its core is a spiritual exercise. What's our responsibility with our wealth? Well, I like to think of it this way. Um, this is a visual way to think about all that we have. So um, sometimes I call this sermon the pipes because I have some pipes. We, these will represent our wealth. 10%, 20, 30, 40, 50. Now, people usually get nervous when a pastor counts. Um, so would my math teacher, 60, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, and we got some small ones, 96, 97, 98, 99, 100. Oh, that we went down. Thank you. Always need a little help. So if you look at this, what does this tell us? This tells us we all have the same. 
You say, that's not true. Well, we all have 100% of whatever we got. So if you got 1,000 bucks, you got 100% of 1,000 bucks. You got 10,000, you got 100% of 10,000. We all start with that same amount, 100% of whatever we got. What are we supposed to do with what we have? Now, at least some point in the year, you'll work on your taxes, and there's kind of two critical questions that come up when we think about our income. One is, where did it go? And the second one might be, did we do anything to advance the work of God? Did we do any kingdom investment with our wealth? Now, the Bible teaches us um, how to deal with our wealth, and here's the truth of our reality. Where does it go? Well, Nerd Wallet, if you Google Nerd Wallet, it says about 25, 6, 7, 8. 28% of our money every year goes to taxes. You say, I hate taxes. Well, what do you think? Are taxes good or bad? Let's hear good. Okay. About uh, bad? We like low taxes, and for my whole life, it feels like uh, Democrats and Republicans have said, let's lower the tax, let's lower the tax. But you know what? Taxes pay for the road. Taxes pay for your school. Taxes pay for the police. Taxes pay for the folks who keep our, our, our borders safe. Taxes pay for our military. Taxes are part of how a community lives together. And so you have to have some level of taxation. Now, again, we like low taxation, but we also want good roads. We like low taxation, but we also want good schools. So taxes are a part of life. And about 28%, some of you are going, I don't think it's that much. Some of you are thinking, I wish it was only that much. Kind of depends where you fall. This is if you take, in general, all taxes in your life. Now, what do you think Jesus said about taxes? Do you remember? He was, he was addressed. In Matthew chapter 28, 22, in verse 17, they come to him and they ask him this question. Now tell us what you think about this, Jesus. Is it right to pay taxes or not? You remember what Jesus said? Yeah, he says, give me a coin. Whose picture's on the coin? Caesar. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. He goes on to say, in other words, you got to pay taxes if you're going to live in community. So this is a reality of our life. Now, there's another category in our life which is important, which is called giving. This is kind of exciting. It's that time of year. We like to be givers. We like to fill up the, uh, the Christmas tree with gifts for friends and family. We like to support folks through the food pantry. We like to help Desert Sage. We like to make a different world through our giving. And the Bible teaches about giving. When I grew up in the church, my pastor used to say, bring your tithes and your offering to the church. Tithe, 10%. You go, whoa, that's a lot. Your tithes and your offerings. If the church tithe, if the American church tithe, there would be no issue in any community that the church couldn't deal with. The average person in America gives about 2% to 3%. Here in Idaho, it's closer to 3%. That's helpful because of our LDS friends. They've raised it up. 
but it's still just about 3% is what people give to the church. I always look at this and think how free the church would be. I mean, we could deal with affordable housing. We could deal with people in hunger. We could help in systems with school. We could help with mental health. We could do things that we can't do if people learned generosity. So this is part of it. Now, as you think about tithing, remember Paul's words. Paul spoke to the church, and he reminded us not to give out of pressure. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I love the translation that says God loves a happy and hilarious giver. <laughs> Isn't that a good translation? I always think you shouldn't be hilarious because you go, look how little I put in the plate. That's funny. That's not what he's talking about. Right? He's talking about I gave from my heart and it gives me joy. It gives me joy. So that's part of the question is does it bring you joy? The other day I was getting a haircut and um, the young lady giving me the haircut told me she was a pastor's kid which always touches my heart. And she told me she was still in church as a pastor's kid, which touches my heart. And we were talking about life together, and as I went out, I usually tip, usually this will tell you maybe good or bad about me, I usually tip five bucks when I'm leaving to get my hair cut, and I tipped her 20 bucks, and she went, oh, that's too much, and I went, you're a pastor's kid. <laughs> I'm hoping someone tips my kid, you know? And it was just, I felt better. It just was one of those moments where I felt it was joy. It was joy to tip 20 bucks in that moment. So Jesus is, is also confronted about tithing. Sometimes people say, Pastor Dwayne, we're not, we're not Old Testament people. Tithing is Old Testament. We're New Testament people. You're right. In the New Testament, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, sell all you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Now tithing is a pretty good deal, right? You keep 90%. You go, but did Jesus ever speak to it? He did. And he's talking to the church leaders, and he says this in Matthew 23, 23. He starts out kind of friendly. He says, you hypocrites, isn't that good? You hypocrites, you care for the, you're careful to tithe even the tiniest part from your herb garden, but you ignore the more important aspects, justice, mercy, and faith. And then he asks, should you tithe? Yes, but do not neglect the more important, justice, mercy, and faith. Now, there's another category. This one's a little more exciting because it's kind of like paying yourself. We call this savings. And if you're doing savings, the younger you are, some of you younger people, the younger you start saving, the better. Some of us waited way too long. And we would tell you we waited way too long to start. Most folks will say, you got to put at least 10% of what you have in the savings. Why? Because those tires you have are not eternal tires. You will have to replace them, right? Your furnace will go out at some point. You have to replace it. So you save for the future. Again, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So 10% in savings. Now the next category is living. Living. So it's life. So if you think about well, what's left, we got 10, 20, 30, 40, 
in this category, this is what we live on. And right now, the light bulb's going off for some people because you're going, I thought I had 100% in that category. Or I thought, in America, I thought I had 120% in that category. I have to live. This is the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. This is, this is paying for child care. Have you looked at the cost of child care lately? If you don't have ch little children, just Google it. Look at the cost for child care in Boise. Shocking. It all comes out of here. So how do we, how do we learn to live? Now, <clears throat> I love this passage again from, from uh, Paul as he writes to the church in Philippi. This is a familiar passage, Philippians 4, when, when Paul says, look, I've learned to be content. Here's what it says. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or with an empty stomach. What's, what's the secret? For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes when I teach this to kids, I always teach it this way from the old translations. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So sometimes if you want to remember that passage, you may not remember all the words, but you might remember this, that God is with you and God is present and together you can do all things. So in this moment, I, I often think again of John Wesley, our founder back in England. He lived in a day when you could live on about 28, 30 pounds was the English equivalent of about $7,000. And in that day, 300 years ago, that was enough. That, that was enough. That was a decent wage. And in his first year of teaching, he made 28 pounds. We know this because he kept uh, meticulous records. He made 28 pounds in 1731. And that year, he gave away two. So he didn't tithe even, but he, he was working pretty good toward a tithe. The next year, his income increased. It doubled, and he lived on 28 pounds and gave away 32. Isn't that interesting? His income doubled, and he lived on the same amount. His income over the next couple years continued to go up. One year went to 90 pounds. He lived on 28 pounds, and he gave away 62. One year, he was one of the richer people of his day. One year, his income was 14,000 pounds. 14, yeah, 14,000 pounds. 1,400, excuse me. I got to watch the, the comma. 1,400 pounds. He lived on 30. So he increased his level of living, but he gave away almost all of it. See, he understood that making money is not a bad thing. But he also understood you set your level of living and you just keep growing your generosity. What would life look like if we did that? I love this quote from Basil the Great. He was, he was uh, um, the, not the pope, but the bishop of Caesarea in 365, and he gives us this. This is our guilt quote for the day. He says, when someone steals a person's clothes, we call him a thief. Should we not give the same name to the one who could clothe the naked and does not? The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry one. The coat hanging in your closet belongs to the one who needed. The shoes riding in your closet belong to the one who has no shoes. The money which you hoard belongs to the poor. Thank you, Basil, for making us feel guilty, right? What do we do with that? Well, this is kind of the biblical way of living. But if we're honest, we would recognize that that's not how most, this is not how we live in America because there is another category which takes up part of our life called debt. 
And in America, again, according to Nerd Wallet, we have about 30% of our hundred in debt service. Well, where does that come from? Well, we typically take it from here. We say, you know, I'll give, I'll give later. We often take it from ourselves. We'll say, I'll, I'll save later. And sometimes we take it from our living and we say, this is what we have to do to get by. And we end up living, this is more what our world looks like. Now, debt's part of life, if we're honest. And the Bible doesn't say debt's, doesn't say you can't be in debt. It just says you need to know if you're in debt, you are enslaved to the one whom you owe the debt. Scripture, this is from Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Now, here's some realities in America. Here's just so you know where you stand. This is the average debt in America as of last month, as of October. Average credit card debt in America, $7,876. Average mortgage, $228,000. Average student loan, $59,000. Average auto loan, $29,000. And you might be thinking, hey, we're above average. Just so you know, that's not good, all right? It's not good, but this is the norm in America. We, we struggle with what I call sometimes the American gospel, the American gospel that says more will someday be enough. There's three myths. More will someday be enough. What if um, debt is unavoidable and more money, more money will someday be enough? Most people say, if I just made $10,000 more, life would be good, regardless of where they start. Isn't that interesting? What are we supposed to do then with our wealth? How do we get from where we are to maybe where God wants us to be? So I'm going to give you three action steps, and they all come from John Wesley. In his sermon 300 years ago, 280 years ago, you, when you hear a preacher preach on, on money, you assume the answer is give more. His first step 300 years ago was gain as much as you can when he talked about money. He said money's good. You heard him say, in, in our hands it feeds the poor. In our hands it's shoes for those who don't have shoes. In our hands it helps those who are sick. In our hands it's a good thing. So he says, gain as much as you can. In other words, put some money in savings. Put some money in your living. Put some money. Uh, pay off that debt. Gain as much as you can. Then he says, save as much as you can. Step two, save as much as you can. His last one is, so that you can give as much as you can. So say, earn, save, give. Now, these steps aren't that easy, right? Earn, sometimes we don't have a lot of control other than we keep working hard, and we hope the people we work for are, are honest and good and will reward us and we'll, we'll, we'll make a little more next year. Save, we can start. Some of us have learned to save when we say, you know what, if I, let, if I take that out of my paycheck right away, if I don't see it, if it goes straight to a savings account, I don't miss it. And then all of a sudden, there's a little bit of savings set aside. Now, the other thing you have to do to get here is you've got to deal with the debt. How do you work to eliminate debt in your life? 
I think Kathy and I paid on student loans for like 20 years. I don't remember how long it was. It was a long time. And we finally paid that off. And I remember how free we felt when we paid that off. Um, some people use what's called a debt snowball, where you take the, the biggest one and you put as much as you can toward it and you work it down. I always did that backwards. I took my smallest debt and put as much as I could so I'd get a victory. <laughs> I needed to pay something off and feel good about that and then move that, whatever that was, 25, 50 bucks, move that to the next credit card and pay that off fast and then eventually get out of it. And you've got to set a budget that's only 100%. That's the hard part. Kathy and I were married and uh, we'd been uh, going to grad school together and got our first full-time jobs and uh, we bought a house with no money down. And, you know, the house needs furniture, so we filled it with some furniture with no money down. Buy now, pay later. And then we started having children with no money down. <laughs> and then Kathy said, now with these kids, I need to stay home and be a mom, and she made more money than I did. And all of a sudden, we looked at our budget and went, this does not work. And a friend of mine said, call, I know who you should call. I know a guy, right? He said, call Marion. Marion works for BP Oil. He's an executive for BP Oil, but he's, he, he knows how to manage money, and he will help you. So Marion and his wife came to see us. It was, it was a very humbling moment because Marion said, I need to see all your bills, all of your bills. I need to see your check stub, what you make. I need you to tell me what you give to the church, and then we're going to figure out how to get you from this this way, where we had lots of debt, to this way. And the first thing he said to me is, Pastor, you're not tithing. And I said, yes, I am. No, you're not. I said, yes, I am. He said, you might have skipped a class in seminary. What is a tithe? I said, it's whatever I put in the plate. He said, how convenient for you. <laughs> where did you get that? And I said, well, my pastor used to say, well, put your tithes in offering. He said, Dwayne, a tithe's 10%. I said, oh, my God. He said, you're giving about 2%. You're a leader in the church. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to lead in every area. He said, we need to move you to a tithe. And I said, like two to 10? He said, we can do it two ways. We can move you up 1% this year, 1% next year, 1% the year after. Or we can do a big jump this year. I said, 3% sounds fantastic. <laughs> and that was our first step toward tithing. And then he looked at our debt and he said, here's the deal. My wife and I will write one check and pay off all your consumer debt, but you will pay me this amount over the next three years with simple interest and pay me back, but I need all your credit cards. And he took all our credit cards and he said, I'll give them back to you when you pay this off. Or I can cut them up. And that was our choice. And he paid off our debt and it took us three years to pay him off in simple interest. The difference was our household started to look like this. Now, not completely, because we have some house debt and some other things, right, that we're paying for, but it started to look more like this than it did before, but it was humbling. And you have to hear it's not magical if you put, start put, say, I'm going to tithe now, and you don't do the rest of the homework. It, your budget still won't work. There's no magic in this. There's not holy magic, put money in the plate and you'll get money back. If you know where that plate is, please show me. I don't know where that plate is. 
I will say that generosity, though, is about your heart, and it's about simplicity of living. And so you may have to get some help, like we did, outside of yourself. You may have to humble yourself. Now, in the church, you need to know this. There are three things you can do to get help. And, and look, you can do this right most of your life and go through one divorce. You can do this right most of your life and go through one job change, not by your choice. You can do this right most of your life and have one health issue, and it gets all messed up. Don't be embarrassed. That's called life in America. The key is, where you are, will you take efforts to get into a healthier place? So, three things you can do. One is there's two classes coming in January. One you may have heard of, Financial Peace University. It's a long class. It's a good class. It gives you some very basics. Dave Ramsey, that's the guy. He's on the radio. He, he's got a website and all kinds of stuff. Lots of tools will help you work through your financial reality. A new one called Saving Grace will be taught in January. Saving Grace is based on the Wesleyan principles that I just told you about. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Similar but different Wesleyan grace, um, saving grace. The third is we do have about four people who are great financial management people in the church that will sit with you individually and say, let's look at where you are. Let us help you think through a budget. Let us help you think how to take the next step of generosity. Let us help you think how you pay off your debt. And they'll help you set that up. And that's free to you. It's just you setting up an appointment. If you want to know how to do that, you can just email me, pastor at boisefumc.org. Pastor at boisefumc.org. We'll get, get it set. We'll take a deep breath and let it out. This is hard stuff. This is not easy. But I believe generosity is a spiritual practice. And I believe we can grow in our generosity as a church in our time, in our giving, and in our living. And together, we can make a different world. Let's pray together. I thank you for the privilege of worship today. Thank you for teachings from long ago, from the scriptures, from our founder, John Wesley, from even St. Basil, who challenges us to live with enough May we look at our life and figure out what enough is for us that we might learn how to be generous, that generosity might be a step we take in our, in our faith, in our journey of being more like Christ. Meet us where we are, take away any shame we have about how we got here, and may today be a step in a new direction as we begin to honor you through our giving and our living. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ we pray, amen, amen. Well, we're going to meet at the table and prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. And I have a new communion liturgy, so you have to pay attention. This will be different probably than what you hear from Ben. But it'll help us get ready and prepare our hearts to be at the table. I like to start with, start with Psalm 11 and verse 24. You may know this psalm. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. And you can join me. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah. You know, it's from the busy places, just around the corner, and it's from the lonely places, deep in our hearts, that we come to this feast with a longing for fulfillment. We come to the Lord's table, knowing often the expectation of what we will receive outweighs the certainty of what we will give, 
But nonetheless, we come. And we will give what we can and receive abundantly a grace which knows no bounds. Let's prepare to meet at God's table as together we confess our sins before God and one another. The words will be up here on the screen. Let's read them together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, And we have not heard the cry of the needy. God, teach us your way of love. Thanks for listening today. Here at Cathedral of the Rockies, our motto is all means all, and we strive to truly live this out. You can help be a part of this by giving to us online. Here at the Amity campus specifically, we feed the hungry through our very active food pantry. Also, we are building up our children and youth programs so that we can serve all families in our area and then also provide safe spaces for them to just be themselves. All means all. Any amount given is an investment that allows us to continue to serve those who join us in person and online and serve the growing neighborhoods around our church building. There is a link in the show notes where you can give online. Thanks again for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.